Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Mike, it's great to be here. Today is December 15th. A lot going on in the NBA right now. Sixers are still have one win. The Warriors still have one loss, but we're not going to talk about them today. Perhaps the most forgotten and arguably still best team in the NBA. Arguably still best team in the NBA, the Spurs. Mm-hmm. A lot written about them recently, but nothing as good as I'm sure that you are currently writing. I know you're working on a Spurs project. The timing right now is perfect. I want to dive into your head. I want to hear about the amazing, incredible, unbelievable San Antonio Spurs currently sitting at 21-5, and a mere four games back of Golden State. Best point differential in the NBA right now at plus 13.2. They are beating other NBA teams by like 40 points, by scores that you wouldn't see if a Division I team played a Division Three team in basketball. Mike, the Spurs are not exciting. Is that why we're not talking about them? Okay, here's a question. <laughs> do, you, do you think that they are exciting? I do think the Spurs are exciting. I think there's something to be said. And I'll give you my two cents because I haven't looked at nearly as much film as you have. I know you dove really deep into this. But I think the most exciting part about them is that the ball doesn't stick unless they want it to stick when it's gotten to the right piece of their offense. Pass the ball around, pass the ball around until it gets to Aldridge six feet away from the basket. Duncan five feet away from the basket. And the most exciting part about them for me is watching the evolution of Kawhi Leonard. I think that's exciting. I mean, how many times is it not exciting to watch a top 10 player in the NBA ascend to greatness? I think he's ascending as we speak. So I think they're exciting, but I'm probably an NBA nerd in the minority of who thinks the Spurs are exciting. Well, do, you, I wa- do you think they're exciting? I want to be clear that they are fun to watch from a basketball standpoint. Okay. They play great basketball. Yes. I some I still the question then is do you find them compelling? And I want to be very clear to those Spurs fans that are listening because this is a topic that I've really thought about a lot of late. I am not saying that the Spurs are boring in the way they play. Okay. They are a lot of fun to play. All the reasons you stated are are great. They're, they're great to watch. They pick teams apart. They play the game the way it was supposed to be played. And now they've got some great star power. Kawhi Leonard is breathtaking in a lot of ways. But it is interesting. Don't Uh-oh. you think? There's a caveat here. Do you think that it is more fun to watch the Spurs blow out someone bad, or I, I compare them to the Warriors a lot? The Warriors blow out someone bad. I'll cop to this and admit that, like I've, the Spurs winning a hundred by forty points over the Jazz. I, it, I watched that game because I was working on this piece. But they, you know, when they beat say Milwaukee, I think by twenty five early this year, I looked to myself and I said, I don't need to watch that game. I know the story. There's nothing really remotely interesting. About them. Oh, here are the Spurs, efficient machine, blowing out another team. But yet, when the Warriors did the same to, uh, I'm trying to think, Memphis was a team they yeah, blew they, out. But early on, they killed them. Yep. There, there have been a few others. That's. I'm thinking to myself, I cannot miss the Warriors yeah. game. And I, I, I wonder. I'm kind of curious. The, the, the Spurs, their ability to just crush teams almost feels too routine to me sometimes. But does that? What does that say about me as a basketball watcher? What does that say about you as a basketball watcher? Is there something about the Spurs that is? It's not that they are boring, but it's that they are turning. They're so good that they are boring. Yeah, it's almost like akin to the dunk contest right now. Hear me out on this analogy. 
there's nothing anyone can do now in a dunk contest that really shocks and awes people. We just assume, and we're used to seeing 360 between the leg dunks. Dunks where guys defy logic. They make the you know gravity seem that it doesn't exist, right? The same way the Spurs basically have made competition look. There's nothing that, that when we see them win by 40, 50 points, which they've done that in the last week, they have two 40-plus point wins, which is just insane. When you see that happen, it doesn't shock you. You're just used to seeing that. You in your head mentally right now have the Spurs at a minimum in the Western Conference semifinals. At a minimum. Likely in the Western Conference finals. I would say almost certainly at this point. Aside from the Warriors, Spurs, and Cavs, and mind you that the Spurs have been doing this for almost a decade longer than even LeBron himself, right? We're around that, okay? So... With that in mind, is it because is, is the lack of enthusiasm for you, the lack of excitement watching it, knowing that you've already mentally placed them months from now where they need to be and that there isn't really like something to watch them grow, see that the pieces fit? You just know they are. You know their coach will make the right decisions. Their front office will make the right decisions. Is that what – is it stability that makes you – stability and predictability – that makes you less excited? I don't know, because they have made a lot of changes this year. They are integrating a new piece. They, whether you believe that... How do you think I, that's gone? How do you think the Aldridge I think integration's gone? You know, I think that's gone pretty well. I think he looks pretty good. You know, it's almost a little scary how well he's adapted <laughs> to their way of play and accepting the lack of shots he's, you know, getting sure. and the way he's defending. You know, if this was another team integrating a big piece, I think it would feel a lot more interesting, you know, so you talk a bit about their history. Maybe it's yep. just because we have seen them been there do that. But I still think there's something more to it, and I can't put my finger on it. Why Why is it that I look at, I think, and I say, I don't need to watch them loot, crush Milwaukee. But I need to, I, I naturally, and I, I did this because I have this spreadsheet that tracks the game I watch. I naturally watched all five of their losses. It was kind of... I looked at that, those games. I said, okay, I think I can learn something from those games. And mm-hmm. I can't learn something from them crushing Milwaukee. Whereas with the Warriors, you know, it took me about two days to watch the Bucks game. I just felt like that was a game I couldn't learn anything from. Mm-hmm. But somehow I could learn something from them crushing Phoenix and, you know, crushing Sacramento and crushing Memphis and all these other blowout wins they've had. And I, I, I'm trying to figure out why that is. And well, I just think – I think it – too often people get offended and we say the Spurs are boring. We are not saying that the Spurs are boring style of play. Mm-hmm. I just think there's something about their ruthless efficiency that is sort of boring, and I think that admitting that sort of shortchanges them a bit, and I'm trying to figure out why. You're wrestling with this. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to figure out why we think of it this way because that to me is kind of the interesting thing. It's like almost cliche to say that one team is super popular, one great team, and the other one's kind of just like lurking in the shadows, like quietly doing their thing, you know, they're for the 700th year in a row. <laughs> like, why do we atop those tropes for these two teams? Yeah, no, you're, you're right about that. I, I think it's as simple as, I mean, I think there's a lot of things in play here. I, I like to break this down even more, I don't know, in a rudimentary sense. I think that yellow flashy uniforms from the Bay Area I agree. appeals more to people than black and gray, black and silver from San Antonio. So do you think that if they switch colors... <laughs> and that's stupid, but it's true. I, I think, think there's you're a mental right. component to that. So I, if they switch colors and the, and the Spurs wore yellow and the Warriors help. wore gray, do you think that we would not care as much about Stephen Curry? That might help. The other thing is if any single player on the Spurs pulled up from 27 feet 
Popovich would put him at the exact end of his bench. <laughs> Whereas, on you know, with the Warriors, that is lauded. That is what you want. You're looking for that quick shot to, to expand the court. I think there's so many similarities between their dominances or their, their respective dominance uh, thus far. They haven't played each other. We don't have a head-to-head comp. When did mm-hmm. you say the first time they play this, Mike? It's not till January 25th. And that is, is a mistake. By the schedule makers, that's I for agree. sure. Um, and they also play each other a few times down the stretch, too, which could be mm-hmm. pretty pivotal in that race to not play Oklahoma City in the second round. We'll get into that later, though. Um, I found an interesting stat, though, Mike, and I think this is kind of... I want to get a little more into the nuts and bolts of, of the Spurs so far this season because one of the things that we had talked about earlier uh, before the pod was this concept of pace, right? It's a very... It's popular now to play with that pace, Golden State, is a great example. Um, Oklahoma City is at the higher end of the league uh, in pace. Um, but one of the things that's, you know, the ruthless efficiency that you noted about the Spurs with that best point differential in the league, 21-5 and five record, is they're only giving up 87.9 points per game. That's number one in the league. They're tied for 27th in the league in pace with the Bucks, which I found very interesting because the Bucks just beat Golden State, tied uh. with them. Okay, they're third in offensive efficiency, so they're going at the slowest rate and making the most efficient possessions right. possible. And they're number one in defensive efficiency at ninety-one point eight, okay? which is, a, by the way, I think the best defensive efficiency in years. I think so, and it's way above the rest of the league. Yeah. It's not even close. We're talking like six-point difference. I believe they have the hot, the lowest foul rate in NBA history. I believe <laughs> at this point, and that's an incredible. Those are incredible. These that are all stats amazing. that we should be like as thrilled as NBA fans as possible to be seeing in our lifetime. The same and way, yet that, it, and yes, yeah, the same. Well, yeah. there come the Spurs again. Blah yeah. blah blah. Are we whatever. trying to talk ourselves into them or? out of them i can't because i'm a fan but so the the biggest question here and i'm going to throw it back to you now after having reiterated these stats is mike why do we love the warriors dominance but we do not like the spurs dominance now that we just rehashed those and we talked a little bit earlier why do you mike you just well days on the spurs what is it well i think it's it's a very good question i think a lot of it is because the way the spurs seem to win is this you know collective kind of we triumph over everyone we do it's like almost like we do everything the right way the right play the right way you know they they seem infallible right so Mm -hmm. when they lose it's compelling because it's someone else doing a superhuman thing to beat it's kind of like facing the boss the final boss at the end of a video game (laughs) you know some some of these final bosses are kind of compelling on their own but what makes them really compelling is when someone is able to just outdo them yeah whereas i think with golden state they are reinventing a lot in a superficial way reinventing a lot of what kind of we even think of as normal basketball i agree and I don't think – but the funny thing is I don't think there's really that much different with between the two teams when you really strip them down to the ethos and their core, right? These are two teams that move the ball, are super efficient. You know, they play with great player movement and ball movement. You know, they never stop. They share the ball. They are kind of seeking this peak efficiency in their own different ways. You know, they, they don't have these one-on-one scorers, although Kawhi Leonard, frankly, of the of the – players on this team he is playing the most like that which i think is sort of ironic but also not that ironic but they're trying to to get that out of him like it's essential the one thing i think that the spurs needed to get out of this regular season was Kawhi's confidence to be a a guy you could throw the ball to in a one-on-one situation because that's uh, realistically he's the only true go-to scorer 
uh, from a, a ISO situation. Even Aldridge uses the offense to get in his places. So that's how they well, use it thus far. I think they both do. Sure. Okay. Uh, in different ways, but okay. it's. You know, you're right that there are moments where they kind of do, they have to be solo acts, but they're set up well. But, you mm-hmm. know, I guess back to the other point, the sure. re- I think the Warriors are probably more, and Spurs are more similar than they are different. And yet, I think we do think of them differently because if you look at just in terms of pure outcomes, like what these what these processes result, the Warriors process results in stuff that we just don't see. We have never seen. And everybody likes the new. And... It's compelling to see the new kind of triumph over what seems like normalcy. Whereas the Spurs, for whatever reason, the vibe I get whenever I watch them is that they are doing it in the most normal way. They feel like a system of cogs, which I think is frankly unfair to them, but that's kind of how it feels a lot of times watching them. And so when they demolish an opponent, it's almost like they... They are perfect, and the opponent just doesn't hasn't been blessed with any form of perfection. It, you know, and it, it feels it, it feels like that makes them evil in sure. some way and when they shouldn't like, be. Yeah, and I, I like that point. I think you're very right about that. I think that there's a, a similarity here or a comp to be made to like a pitcher who just effortlessly throws 98 miles per hour, and you look at him, you're like. Man, that there's no way that came out of his hand at 98, but you expect to see it over and over, right? Because he's very effortless with it. And there's pitchers who put so much into their motion, and they might throw 100, but there's no chance they're throwing 100 for their whole career. It's not an effortless movement, so you're pumped when you see something come out like that. I think the idea here is that the Spurs are an effortless machine getting to this, where the Warriors are reinventing basketball to get to this. They're very different in that regard. But At least the outcomes, I would yeah, say. Because yes, I don't think, yes. that, again, I think the ethos are the same. Yeah. And I think it would be unfair to say that the Spurs are kind of this machine that throws whatever cog possible in. Well, let me ask you that then. Do you think that one of the biggest differences between the two teams is that the incredible unique nature of the skill sets of Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay, for example, and yeah. even their big men, Bogut's the perfect center for that. Very smart passer, good at distributing. Even their guards off the bench are guys who have been like really good role players, can play multiple positions. is probably the best Swiss Army knife in the league. Um, do you think that the indiv- individual, very unique skill sets that are what makes Golden State so special, whereas not the cog in the wheel, but that is a system in this in San Antonio? You can take a Corey Joseph, you can take a Patty Mills, whoever it may be, and if they need to start Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals, they're going to be okay. But if you're putting someone else in there for Steph Curry or Clay or Draymond, they're not going to be okay. Yeah, I think a lot of it actually has to do sort of with the coaching you know, mm-hmm. the cult of the Warriors. I think you have a good point that the Warriors, for whatever, th- their key players are kind of less conventional yes. in different ways. Whereas I would say the Spurs are more conventional, again, in different ways, they're key players. But I think a lot of it does have to do with the cult of personality of the coaches. Whereas Pop is this kind of like larger than life figure. I think the Warriors are the Steve Kerr and Luke Walton. They're almost, they're succeeding almost. I don't want to say they're coachless right now, but they are. <laughs> You know, they're winning with an interim coach, at least coaching the games. And there's this air of kind of they're just kind of letting the chaos create something, whereas the Popovich is so much – his kind of persona is so much order Mm -hmm. and structure. It's collegiate, man. It is very collegiate. And I I still contend that they're really – the outputs really really aren't that different. It's just that there's – the image – is very different. Yes. And I think that, it, frankly, you know, we can scoff at that, but I think that does matter. And in the Spurs case, I think it also, you have to think about how for many years they didn't really play along with the media game. I think they've really opened up recently. Yeah. You know, 
the black jerseys. You laugh at that, but I think there is something to that. I I fully believe in the color of the uniforms in sports. The Suns were so exciting. You know, if the Suns wore black, I think that that's a real thing. Yeah, who's Dan Marley without their uniforms? I think you're right. <laughs> you laugh, but no, that's no, no. Thing. I agree, though. This is like a, a point that I've been. I, I feel like I've made this for years and years now. But like, give me Manchester United in red above City in baby blue. There's a, there's a direct correlation. I don't have to get the stats out now between teams that that wear red and aggressive colors and teams that wear more neutral colors. It's Meanwhile, just, we're both wearing black today, so yeah. we. This is a boring podcast, my, according my to nets, this Nets shirt that I caught in the crowd. Yeah, you know. No big deal. Just repping my nets. There's so, another one right there. If the nets were if the nets were purple, it'd be more interesting. Yeah. Nope, they'd still be terrible. Then okay. they'd be the Lakers. Um, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, okay, that's the Spurs. They, we could probably go on forever, but I don't want to cut this off because I want to leave a little bit of the imagination for, so people can read the piece that you're putting out uh, on the Spurs. It should be out. I don't know what uh, Thursday, Friday, or Wednesday, Wednesday next week. Uh, no, Wednesday uh, this week. Wednesday this week. Beautiful. So this will be out on uh, you know Wednesday uh, twelve sixteen. You'll probably be listening to this podcast and reading Mike's piece on the Spurs. I'm sure it's going to be great and dissect every little piece that makes this team what they are. Having said that, I want to get to the Texas two step. No, I don't mean Houston. I mean the Mavericks. I mean the other constant winning perennial playoff contender who we didn't think was going to be there this year. Vegas didn't think so with their over-under. I know a lot of NBA purists thought they just got older and slower, and who knew what type of shelf life we had left on Dirk Nowinski? Yes, that includes me. And that includes Mike sitting across from me. However, Dirk right now is on his quest for 90-50-40, again at 37 years old, which is remarkable. Rick Carlisle is cementing himself as a Hall of Fame coach. And they just got Parsons and Matthews back that they're working them in now. Their minutes restrictions are lessening up. They're kind of becoming the complete team they are, and they're sitting at 14-11 and 11, right in the middle of the Western Conference. Mike, you just did a bunch on the Spurs. I'm sure you saw some film on the Mavericks. I'm sure you've been watching them this year in general. What have you noticed about the Mavs that's kind of allowed for them to maintain this level of excellence that I think a lot of people assumed would drop off? You know, it's funny. They're they're doing the same stuff they've done the last three or four years. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's... Good answer. You know, you think about what the Spurs are kind of known as, you know, there's less made of the Mavericks as this team that can kind of throw cogs into a machine, you know? And I mean, I guess the difference there is that there is one player that is kind of the hub of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if it's as much a machine as like kind of, you know, a pyramid where if you remove the building block, the other, everything falls. Like Jenga. Yeah. It's like Dirk (laughs) is like the ultimate Jenga piece. I like that. You know, so and and Rick Carlisle is such a great coach at leveraging kind of he's incredible the threat man. of and they always they have a certain type they always have that plays very well you know the kind of veteran on his third team that someone casts aside the flawed vet vet yep. you know the Darren Williams sure. who's having a really good year yep you know we thought we kind of was done look what he did for the rest of Devin Harris's career I mean he's Devin been Harris a very serviceable maybe been a plus player for them Raymond Felton is starting and playing big minutes for them great you know, example. he's played he's played great you know uh, all our New York Knicks fans here are like Raymond you kidding me right right oh, he's been good he's been yeah. really good yeah. Zaza Pachulia who I find so much fun to watch yes. in his own little way we talk about characters you know there's something we funny about this guy who just kind of is totally ground bound he can't really move or or jump really high and yet he's like the key to their defense and the reason the bucks are not defending well either yeah i wrote about that a little while ago 
it's fun to watch him just kind of find his way and do his thing. Yeah, they might have the worst cumulative vertical of any team in NBA history on this team. I mean, they literally don't have anyone. <laughs> the, uh, the, the 1953 St. <laughs> Louis Hawks maybe yeah. would disagree with you, but I see what you – I think there's an argument to be made. <laughs> but it's like they're, they are the phone book team. I mean, they, they are. it's pretty funny. Considering, yeah, like you said, um, it just kind of keeps humming along. I think it's funny. Carlisle is such a defensive intensity coach. He's just a player intensity coach. He makes these guys, like you talked about, maybe on their third, fourth team, veterans who've been cast away. He makes them realize, at least from what I'm, I see on the court, uh, body language, all those things, he makes them fired up again. He, I think he puts personal accountability on these veterans. Um, and I don't know if a lot of coaches are even in the right place to do that. And I think Carlisle is, and he does it well. I think that's true. I think he also has loosened his kind of intensity a little bit since back in the day with Detroit and Indiana. I think he just kind of finds a way to put these guys in the right position. He minimizes their flaws. It's just it's very interesting, Dallas. Every year it's like they're never – for the last maybe four or five years, they're, they're, their program is to stay – pretty good mm-hmm. every year with different players with slightly different tweaks to the system you know but they're never it's kind of this interesting world they occupy it's a dirk centric world though at all times it is and it's yeah. interesting that they kind of are staving off rebuilding but you know is this ultimately good for the long-term health of the franchise who right. knows we always kind of think that but it is right. i i kind of respect them for just kind of constantly being able to do this you sure. know as opposed to Teams that kind of fluctuate in and out. You get the consistency of Dallas is always this team. You know, I don't know if I'm trying to. I, I'm struggling to figure out how good they actually are. I guess you know Dirk has struggled a little bit recently. Yeah. Uh, Parsons is still really not himself. Although he did play well against the Suns on Monday. Mm-hmm. You know, Wes Matthews is playing much better. He's shooting much better. Uh, they they still don't have great depth. Their defense is kind of getting a little lucky. I think with some of the threes that they're giving up and missing. They're they do well to try to stop teams in transition, but they're just so slow. You know, there's almost there's sometimes not much they can do. And some of these teams down the West, like the Clippers and even Houston, I think are going to start to pick it up. I wonder where they fit in the West playoff picture. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though. They've played a road-heavy schedule so far, 14 uh, road games and 11 home games. Yeah, I mean, they're good against the Western Conference, 10-7 and 7 against the Conference. Um I, I don't know if they're you know they're going to win a playoff series this year or even come close, given who they'll probably have to play. Um, but they're definitely intriguing, and I noticed that as, as I looked through their box scores of the last six games, um, and six being a number I just picked, but they had at least six players in double figures in all six of those games. Mm-hmm. So when you don't necessarily need it from one guy, that obviously breeds consistency more, a very Spursian thing. Um, if you took away Steph Curry's 34 points a game or whatever from Golden State, they'd have a lot more trouble winning. You're very you know, pivoted around his points being there. Whereas they don't really need, the Mavericks that is, they don't really need Dirk to have 25. He can have his off night 17 points or whatever. Right. He just needs points. to be there. He just needs to be there. Yeah, he needs to be part of the offense, part of the threat. Um, so I found that interesting. Pretty even scoring. Lots of guys in double figures. But the whole thing about this team, Mike, is that things change. This isn't the team they were supposed to have. There was not supposed to be a Zaza. <laughs> that, that sounds like their, their last three years, though. <laughs> right, that's, well, that's what's true. so intriguing about them. And you know what? They're better for not having Dwight. And I think they're way better off not having DeAndre Jordan. Am I wrong about that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think they may be better this year for not having him. But the problem, of course, is that next year they Zaza is, you know, I think 31 last year of his deal. 
even though he's played great for them this year, you can't expect him to be match DeAndre's next four years, even though DeAndre is 26. And eventually, you know, look, they do have to think about the the post-Dirk yeah, era. Life Dirk after Dirk. Their father time is still undefeated. You know, he's, he's locked in a tough battle with he's Dirk and Tim now, Duncan. Though. He's getting better now, though. Father Father's- time doing better, though. Yeah. Who would have thought that Tim Duncan... And Dirk Nowinski would still not just be in the league, but would be like two of the better right. players in the NBA at this Yeah, they're, they're fighting the battle very well, but yeah. they are going to lose. They will. And what happens when they don't have Dirk anymore? And I think DeAndre could have helped bridge the gap. But he was never going to be the next guy to take over the team. I agree. You know, and like, I think you watch Jordan, and I think his flaws are, have become a little exacerbated on the Clippers because they haven't changed how they use him. I think I think Carlisle is a much better coach than Doc, and I think he would have figured out a better way to use him, personally. I think you're probably right. You know, and so I think it's hard for me to even say like that it was the right or wrong move. I think it's the right move given the results right now um, and just kind of the way they play. It's hard for me to envision a guy like DeAndre who really isn't going to be doing the nitty-gritty that Zaza does. he's Another big thing about DeAndre, too, obviously, is the flow of the game changes when he's on your team. The whole hack of that DeAndre thing, the fact that the Mavs don't have to deal with that, it, it probably helps the flow of their offense, having multiple guys in double figures like we talked about, um, you know, and not having to worry about necessarily their game plan just being forwarded in the third quarter when the fouls start happening. Yeah, you know, but that's again. These that's are the, something. I think again, you just have to look ahead, though. It's yeah. like okay, yeah, the maybe future. they're maybe they're not better this year. Although I think that DeAndre's rolling ability and screen setting would have helped kind of some of these guys that's as true, well. Probably. And maybe they wouldn't be as fundamentally sound on defense, but I think you know they would have been a better rebounding team. You know, they maybe would have figured he, out ways. He could probably run a pretty mean high pick and roll with with Felton too, who's a yeah. very good pick and roll. Passer. And imagine Dirk spotting up in the short and the strong side co- or the weak side corner. You, that yeah. guy cannot help. No, it's true. Mark so, Cuban was probably thinking about all of this. Yeah, when he was <laughs> courting him. <laughs> yeah, but you know, at the same time, I think that that does Zaza does do a lot that does not show up on the stat sheet. Sure. That DeAndre is not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, they, they're they out draft picks. They're out this probably – I think what they're trying – I think this is almost the best-case scenario for them is that they are – they kind of give up the 18th, 19th, 20th pick this year and just kind of get it over with to Boston. They don't have to worry about giving up. I think it defaults unprotected or much less protected in the future. Mm-hmm. But they don't have God, a lot Boston. of great young players. I mean, Dwight Powell is interesting. Justin Anderson is interesting. Powell's although he doesn't been a very play. good spark off the bench. Yeah. Part of that bench crew. But that's, you know, he's not a guy that's going to really be a significant part sure. of your core. He's kind of a nice little player. Where's yeah. Where do they go when Dirk eventually gets older? I think that's where DeAndre would have helped. So, yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, you know, but then again, you keep saying this. They can't keep putting these patchwork rosters together forever, and yet they somehow keep putting these patchwork rosters together. Sure. And maybe can- if Chandler Parsons' knee is fine, maybe if Wes Matthews can kind of keep it up for a couple more years, they can keep doing it. Yeah, they're two good players, and uh, you know, Matthews is, I think, 30. Mm-hmm. Parsons is young. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Achilles injury. Older body, though. Yeah. And Parsons' knee is not in good shape. Yeah. And he's a free agent after the year. So do you even want to commit big dollars to someone who's got those knee problems? Interesting. Interesting question. What what, what was his knee diagnosis? It's a, well, it was, it, was? it was strange, I think. They, like, yeah. kind of kept it quiet during the recruiting period, and then there was some thought that he maybe got microfracture, but then he maybe didn't. Hmm. You know, and then it was kind of – they tried – only using them in second halves right, that didn't right, right. work 
only using them in first halves. They don't really play him in crunch time. And frankly, he just looks – he does not look good. Yeah. His knee – his lift does not look good. His shot has always been kind of flat, but it's yeah. even flatter now. He can't get by people. Sure. You know, last year I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had that Chandler Parsons, then their future would be really interesting. But hmm. they don't anymore, and that's a big question. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to watch that much of him. I do know that when I do watch players with player or with uh, minute restrictions – it's never good. They're trying to do too much in their few minutes. Therefore, it negates the idea that they should having be having restricted minutes. Mm-hmm. You could have 30 regular of your minutes or 15 go all out, balls to the wall, not the best type of basketball, not the best decision making. I'm more or less talking about Tony Roten right now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> It always whoops. goes back to the 76ers. <laughs> because we have a little bit of everything bad so, in the NBA. So I was going to say, do you think that there are certain bad characteristics on other teams just because they remind you of something on the 76ers? I find myself finding those, yeah, characteristics in other teams that I'm like, oh, minute restriction, he's going to he's gonna try to do stuff out of character because he's gonna he be wants just to like, get it in in 10 minutes. He's going to be just like this bad Sixers player. Yeah, he's going to be just like, and then I fill in the <laughs> blank with whichever journeyman Sixers player I'm talking about. Although I do like seeing, quick aside, Covington's name mentioned as like a major trade piece that could potentially happen because I've been high on Covington all year and I think I've finally convinced Mike of his value as well. Well, then uh, they shouldn't trade him. Maybe we should keep him. Well, that's the whole thing, right? Oh, God, it's terrible. But uh, nonetheless, I could tell you another team here who I think might be of service for Covington or who his services might be uh, important to or, or necessary, and that's the third team I want to talk about. We're going to talk about four teams today. Good little work on the Mavs there. I just learned a lot from you. Thanks, Mike. Um, that The third team is, is, and I'll call them the wild card. They are the wild card. I don't think anybody wants to play them in the playoffs. I'm not sure they know how good they are or what type of team they actually can be at the end of the day, but I think Oklahoma City, they're my favorite team to watch. They have been for years and years now. Last year I mentioned this a number of times, but I'm like the biggest Russell Westbrook fan in the whole world, and I have been since I watched him play at my old job. Right in front of me, 10 feet away, he was the hardest worker in that gym, and he's the hardest worker in every single gym he plays his NBA games in. And right now Russ and KD are both over 30 PER apiece on the same team, which almost is impossible to do. I don't do. think that anyone has ever done has that. It, so that was my first question. Mike. I don't think so. Can you so. even think of another example of two teammates who would be close to that? I, I mean, Pippen? I suppose, I don't know what Kobe and Shaq's were. Uh, I, I don't, don't think, think Kobe's Pippen, was that high. I don't think Pippen was ever a PER star. I don't think Kobe was either, though. Yeah, I mean, maybe back in the day, sure. you know, perhaps. But that's, Im- but that's, that's amazing. It is, and it's funny because these are two players who a lot of people have said don't have great on-court synergy. You know, they're great buddies, but, you know, it always has often has felt like uh, they have not gotten the best out of each other. They've kind of operated as two solo artists, even when they're great. And I don't think that's really true anymore. And yet, do you really think the Thunder can win the title? Oh, man, I hope the Thunder can win the title. I I think that—I don't even want to talk about the title, though. I, I, do, I don't think do they have think any that, chance. Do you think that they can come out of the West? It, no chance. Okay, so it's it's not even about. Do I think they can win the title? Yeah, if they come out of the West, I think they could definitely beat the Cavs. Okay, but I think they have no chance. Because, maybe maybe a five percent chance because of the road through the West. You're saying. Well, I just don't. I mean, how good this team isn't that good outside of Russ and Durant. I mean, I, they? they're playing better. Okay, so recently they've been playing better. Why have they been playing better? I think, you know, the the two stars have played better. I think they've done a little better in crunch time. The schedule has softened a little bit. Small ball. Yeah, they've and, and that's the other thing. They they are playing small with the Bach at the five more often. Not a ton of minutes, but I know, you know, there was a game in Memphis a few, maybe, you know, ten sure. days ago where yep. they, they went to the small line and just blew them off the floor for about two and a half minutes at the end of the first half, and that was it. But they haven't played a team that can really exploit the fact that their two wings are Deion Waiters and Morrow, who are both bad defenders. Yep. You know, so they haven't gotten to that point yet. But they, 
because they haven't, they're playing these teams that can't handle it. I think they're able to overcome those teams. So I I still don't see the defense or the wing play, which is why you did mention Covington. <laughs> I don't see it yet. But to me, like, the Thunder are kind of more fascinating as a thought experiment than kind of a team. Just if you think about four years ago, this was the next future team in the league. Yeah. And now it really does feel like they have no chance to win the title. I see, I don't think that, though. I think they do have a chance to win. I think do you they, really think I they think, can beat the Warriors? Yeah, and this goes back to our age-old conversation we always have about the difference between uh, regular season basketball and playoff basketball is that in in almost every game they play in the playoffs, with the exception of should they play Golden State, they're going to have the two best players on the court. That's true, but they also— And that's also, two of the five. On, that's you know, true, Two but of the they, ten on the court, and that's, that's really important in a, in a bottled sense. Plus— I think that you might be underrated. Like, their offensive efficiency, they are an efficient team right now. Like, they are with a brand-new coach in a new, relatively new system. I think, it's it looks the same, similar. I think it's the same thing. I see. I caught myself before I said I think it's, it's probably it's the about same. the same. Um, but see, the flip side of that argument yeah. is that because they only have two – their offense is so built yes. around two players, yes. it is so much easier to lock in – your attention on those guys and game plan some other guys out of, out of a series. Andre Robertson playing great defense. There is no way that guy can is going to survive in a playoff series. He's the American Cephalosha. And he's worse. <laughs> he's worse than him. I mean, do you remember a couple years ago when Cephalosha was played off the floor in, in a, I, I believe do. it was a Memphis series? I do. It's going to be even worse for Andre Robertson. And then on the on the flip side, does can you see every team is going to attack Ennis Cantor mm-hmm. more in a playoff series when they can game plan. They should have never re-signed Cantor for that much. Money, yeah. But that's a whole other story. I mean, especially because their best lineup is small. Right, right. You know, it, 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 it's very strange. Yeah, it, I, think, I think that you'll see something similar to what the Wizards did last year where come playoff time, when Paul Pierce was the power forward, I think that come playoff time, Durant's your power forward. And that's just that. It's only for short spurts right now to kind of just make sure that it does work. And it does. That Memphis game's a great example. It does work. It blew them off the court. And Memphis is the extreme In the right matchups, too. it works. Correct, because that's the perfect matchup to go small. They, Memphis isn't capable of that. Right. Um, but I, I do think you're going to see come playoff time, it's going to be a no-brainer to him. The, the whole problem with playing KD at, at power forward the whole season is the physicality of it, making sure that he makes it to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's been an issue for two years straight now. So I do think, I mean, obviously Oklahoma City missed the playoffs last year. Um, but I do think there's something to be said for knowing the lineup you're going to want to eventually get to in a series. And in a series, things change. I like them in a, in a, in a I like them to be able to beat the Spurs in a series. I don't know if I like them to be able to beat Golden State. Yeah, see, I, I think, disagree. See, so I think that's what whole make, makes this whole three who is, seed so important. Who is a, or, I mean, I think certainly it's more of a challenge to face Russ and KD than anyone else in the West right now. So, so if they play, yes, but if they play the Spurs, Kawhi guards which one of the two? I mean, you put one Kawhi on one, you put Danny Green on the other. That's you fine. Kinda, that's a mis- right there is one of your mismatches. I don't think that's for. really that much of a mismatch. The better question is when the Spurs play Manu with Parker and Kawhi, Manu has been great this year. Who does yeah. Anthony Morrow guard? Who does Deion Waiters guard? No, who, I, uh, I who, does, who guards LaMarcus Aldridge? Yeah. When you have a team with that much basket protection, how are, can Cantor have a broom or something that he can poke him <laughs> with? Because just hit him with a broom. I mean, that would probably be more effective than normal Ennis Cantor defense. <laughs> if he, you know, it'd be a foul every time, but at be. least you know points per possession. Maybe they miss some free throws, <laughs> hurt their efficiency. <laughs> if they can't beat them, hurt their efficiency. Yeah. That's the bigger question. And then the rim protection that the Spurs have, yep. it's just going to force Wes, Russ and Durant, I think, on the perimeter yeah. in key situations. And, again, the 
Thunder have not proven yet, even though they are winning, that they can run efficient crunch time offense well, when let me, it let me just, tightens up. I agree. But I think the one the reason I, I said that, that I think they could maybe beat the Spurs, and I don't think that's going to be the case with the Warriors, is because the Warriors do, in essence, what Golden State, I'm sorry, what uh, Oklahoma City does just at an amplified level. Yeah. And they're not going to beat them at their own game. They go small with Golden State. Golden State's going to lick their chops and smoke them. I agree. Right, but, and I think I think, it, but maybe I think they win the contrast of styles with with the Spurs. That's maybe the only I hope. mean they have a better chance, I suppose. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I give them a less than five percent chance, which I mean, is almost amazing. It's a, I know, but okay, it's amazing. Well, if they have a less than five, I'm assuming the other three teams that you'll even give a percent chance to to win the championship would be Golden State, the Spurs, and the Cavs. What percents are they getting from you, Mike? I mean, if the, there's the like if there's like a ninety five ninety five percent of pie left. Uh, yeah, maybe like I don't know, like let's see, forty, thirty, forty Warriors, thirty Spurs, and what's left over? Twenty five. Twenty five Cleveland. That's probably being too fair to Cleveland, but you know, they <laughs> wow, do have so you such think a. Ter- it's that it's that cut and dry right now. It's basically you think the Warriors or, or Spurs are winning it. Well, I mean, the Cavs obviously yeah. they have let's- so much ammo in the chamber. Let's see what Kyrie looks like when he comes back. They have so much ammo in the chamber that we don't know yet, and they're going to probably have the easier path. We could assume so. Well, they're not going to have to play one of each other. They're not going to play the Spurs. That series, man, obviously, as an Oklahoma City supporter, fan, uh, etc., I want them to succeed. However, as an NBA fan, a seven-game series between Golden State and the Spurs is probably as good as it could get. Let, I would let that so. apex match up. Let the Predators fight. I think you're right. Now back to Oklahoma City, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you can agree that they are a long shot. Whether whatever percentage you give it to them, they I are do. a long shot to really accomplish, even get to the finals. Frankly, I think they're they're well below even money to even make the conference finals. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be a dog in that second right. round. For sure. That is amazing that Duran is a free agent mm-hmm. next year. We'll see what happens. They are mm-hmm. they are two players playing so well, and yet they don't really have a chance. Yeah, I and, think that's and we amazing. We haven't even mentioned Ibaka yet, who's a, a really good player also. A good player, yeah, good a player. very good player. He's not, as, he's not as good as Oklahoma City wanted him to be when they traded Harden. That's a whole different discussion, but his I think it's mostly because there's just one basketball on the court, and he has two guys who have right. almost the time. Yeah. Um, but you but saw his value that, last year, though, two years ago in the playoffs. Yeah. He really got to feel the the importance of Ibaka. I agree. And he manned up big time. Yeah. Um, I just think it's amazing. You, you, two of these, these, these are two of the top five players in the NBA. Oh, yeah. Unquestionably. And yet, and yet you have those guys, and it feels like they have no chance. Yeah. I just think that's incredible. It says a lot about the state of the league and the way the game is played right now, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's a very interesting commentary there, man. And I think it's it's funny because I think you would also you – know, tremendous segue, by the way. I think you'd also agree that Anthony Davis is in that top five players in the league discussion. The final team I wanted to talk about and get your opinion on more than anything because we really haven't discussed them because they've been terrible this year mm-hmm. through a number of circumstances, injuries, new coach, new system, all that – the Pelicans are are six and eighteen. They're looking at being right smack in the lottery again, and they're coming off making the playoffs last year, putting a little bit of fear into the Warriors' heart, playing at a really high level, the type of level that you assume would just keep ascending with a guy like a twenty-two-year-old transcendent player like Davis. Fast forward, they're supposed to be playing a faster, more offensive-laden basketball, but they're bad at it. This is kind of an example when pace goes wrong. Am I, am I right to say that this is kind of just like a weird science experiment that doesn't work? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, first of all, obviously they have a terrible record because they had all their players out for a while. But I think even since many of their players have come back, they have not looked especially impressive, except for some some glimpses. They did beat the Spurs. They did beat Cleveland. Yep. But otherwise, it just doesn't feel right there. And it feels – this is actually, to me, there are two stories here. One, I think, is that this is a, a new coach that came in – Alan Gentry, very smart, certainly qualified coach that's come in to try to fix perhaps a problem that didn't really exist. You know, the team last year was pretty efficient offensively, but was fairly poor defensively, though they did improve as the season went on. And here's a guy that is known for his offense, known for playing fast. And it just feels like those players are just not the right players to do that. You know, it just feels like that that team was better suited to the style, however you rate it and yeah. the efficacy of it. It's just they feel like they're more Mo- like Monty Williams players. Drew Holiday does not push the ball like an Alvin Gentry point guard. Tyreek Evans certainly hmm. does not push the ball like an Alvin Gentry point guard. Well, those and are so both, when both they point guards too that that dribble to move the ball, dribble, yes. And that's the other thing about <laughs> that's the other thing about pace. And this will go into my rant against that stupid stat. <laughs> go for I it. I think. I think that we assume that it all it measures is possessions per game. Correct. Right. And now technically I suppose that's how fast you play. But the fa- how a possession goes can kind of be determined by a number of factors. So you have a lot of teams always have these teams that maybe are fat or good fast break teams but when they get in a half court set it takes forever that drives down your pace. Mm-hmm. You also have teams that I think like the Spurs who they run hard through everything they do, and the ball whips around. A coach will say they play with a lot of pace. But, like you said, they yes. are 27th of possessions because, you know, some of that ball movement takes some time. And because they score so often, the other te- and they have such a great defense that makes it hard to score, the other team's possessions are short, which is less time for you to have your possessions. I think New Orleans is ninth in pace. I think they take bad, quick shots. I don't think they play with much pace. Yeah, I think they're, they- they're ninth in pace? 29th in defensive efficiency and 17th in offensive efficiency. So the other team is scoring quickly because mm-hmm. they have a bad defense and they're taking bad shots off the dribble. They are not moving the ball quickly. The best judge I like to have with this is how quickly are you into your first play? With the Spurs, it's always under four seconds. <laughs> with the Pelicans, you know, I watched the Blazers game the other night, the game they lost. Uh, I don't think they played especially well. Portland's kind of a tough road team, not a terrible loss, but a, a game that they need to win if they want to get back into the picture. Certainly, certainly. They, you know, it would take them 10, 12 seconds to get into anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's the problem with Tyreek Evans as your point guard. I think that they have a mix that can work. I just don't know if they have the right coach for it. And I think they may have miscalculated a do little bit. Do underrate Monty Williams? Perhaps. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot that he didn't do that well in terms of in-game management. Yeah. And perhaps some of the players they played. And it certainly reflects on him that they had a poor defense. Yeah. But, I think there's been a league-wide grass is always greener epidemic happening. I agree. You know, there are a lot of new coaches this year who are not upgrades from the coaches they took over for. Or perhaps a better way of putting it is that they have been judged by an unfair standard because Steve Kerr just hit the ground running last year. Sure. And Kerr is the exception, not the rule. I mean, yeah. the same Hoiberg, all these college guys, the Hoiberg and, and Donovan, like they came in, and I think when you take over a team who's had success and has veterans on your team – it's really hard to really impose right away mm-hmm. what you've been doing with a bunch of 18- and 19-year-olds in Iowa, 
I agree. You know, or in Gainesville, whatever it is. And I think you're already seeing I – mean, we just talked about how there's really not much of a difference between the way the Thunder play this year and the way they've played the last five years under you know, Scotty Brooks. And I think part of that is because Brooks probably was playing that way because the players he had. Right. And Thibodeau was playing that way because of the players he had. Yeah, I mean, a new coach is yeah. not going to turn exactly. uh, Derrick Rose into – it's not going to heal Derrick Rose's knees. It's not going to make Tyreek Evans into a pure point guard. Right. Right. You're kind of trapped by who you have. That's exactly right. You know, and it, it just it's just depressing to me because I think – when I expected big things from the Pelicans this year, my hope was that Davis – Did you was, have them as a playoff team? I, had, I was very high on them. Mm-hmm. I, I had them – Finishing, I think, six. Okay. I thought they would have a good year. I thought they would overcome these injuries. And the reason I did think that is I thought that Davis, in a very Garnett-like way, would inspire, frankly, like they did last year under Monty Williams when they were undermanned and they still oh, won yeah. games. They actually were struggling when they had their whole part- team together, <laughs> which is weird. Ironic. He would just find a way to kind of lift these players with dogged effort, with highlight plays, with kind of they manufacture buckets. He would kind of be the hub of their team. And I think what's instead happened is this is not a terrible reflection on him. It's just that he's merely a player that is really good that needs someone to help him out. And and he's 22 years old. It would, Yeah, maybe. I think I probably expected a little too much of him. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the entire world, the entire NBA fan mm-hmm. base, especially, you know, people who follow the sport, you, you want to see incremental gains in your young players, but it's always important to remember that there are steps back as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always a linear, straight-up progression for, for a young player. I totally agree. That's you something know? I've been harping on a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. Progression is not linear. And he's under a microscope because he's at such a high – I mean, he was at, his expectations could not have been – I mean, from a physical standpoint, point he's one of the most unique bodies ever to play in the league from a skill set standpoint the whole idea of being a point guard throughout most of his life until he got to college that's a crazy attribute to have for someone who ends up being his size and length so I think we, we do want that but I, Mike I know what you're talking about because in the Cavs game this year he did that he did he made like steal after block after defensive play after hustle play he willed his team to that victory and I know exactly what you're talking about because he basically did that in the playoffs last year against the Warriors well, except for the victory part. Other than the victory part. But that <laughs> mostly was because Steph. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And because he, he does cover so much court. He makes an NBA court look like a sandbox. Um, he, he's really – he's still great despite not having made quite the jump this year. And there's still so many years of jumps that he's going to make. Right. It, I, I was just hoping that he would lift everybody else, whereas I think what ended up happening mm-hmm. is that he's kind of fallen – to everybody else's level. Yeah. And that includes just the lack of talent that the players had that stepped in for injuries had. Yep. And it also just includes, I think, the poor fit of the current players that they have to what Alvin is trying to do. And losing. Losing. And players. losing does young as well. Young guys hate losing. We've, you know, think, we've talked about this before, but young players hate losing. It wears on them even more than it does a veteran who's like, there's 82 games. Likely, we'll lose 30 of them yeah. if we're a really good team. You know, and I think the body language of losing, the way it wears on you, kind of the way that you see change, is it worth changing? We're going to lose anyhow. You know, yeah. is it worth making this adjustment? It's not, you know, we're going to lose. Um, and what if we already, if we like the guy we had last year for correct. whatever reason? Because for, for all Monty's faults, they had great relationships with his players. That's right. now, was, Paul, was it Paul who went down to New Orleans? Yeah. And, and the, Monty had a very good relationship. He was very well liked within the organization. Especially by Davis, I mm-hmm. think, in particular. Now, Mark Jackson was too in that 
Sure. Didn't matter, but I think it's, you know, <laughs> important. Now, here's the question, though, if you're the yeah. Pelicans. Like, what do you do now? Like, do you punt the season? Because you're only Trade still— Trade Anderson? Trade Anderson? Well, there's all, they're putting him in rumors. I think he, he's in the last year of his deal. He's good. He's a really good player. Yeah. But I think that they—just trying to think about what their logic might be. They probably don't want to be the team that has to pay his next contract. Probably not. And so maybe they can get a piece for the long term— and punt the seat because because where are they? How many games out are they right now? Uh, we're West. recording this on a on the Tuesday before the games. Yeah, this is uh, December fifteenth. Uh, currently, they are uh, they're seventeen and a half. They're they're only four and a half back in the right. Jazz because in the Western Conference is now the Eastern Conference, uh, where the seven eight seeds are bad teams. Um, I mean, the, Houston right now is twelve and thirteen, uh, and the Jazz are ten and thirteen. That's your seven eight seeds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're not by any stretch of the imagination out of this if they just start playing better but that's the hard part also what is what exactly are they doing right with making the playoffs i mean this has kind of been their I mean, they're giving up 108 points a game man yeah that's crazy no they're terrible on defense they're one, they're one in 12 on the road it's off i mean they've <laughs> their wins have been kind of buoyed by their home crowd that's, yeah that's not how i say the word is it buoyed yeah, that's it. <laughs> Buoyed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what you meant. I knew it. Um, yeah, it's man. like, well, what's the point if they make the playoffs? That's the question, I think. You know, on the one hand, they're a small market. Davis is probably going to get frustrated. On the other hand, this is kind of a team that, you know, for whatever you believe for the reasons for it, whether they were logical, whether they had to do it, whether it was still short-sighted, you know, they went for it early, and now they're kind of saddled with these – kind of players that are kind of at their level. I mean, there was some hope that that Eric Gordon and Evans and Holiday and would Such just redundant be tra- players. Yeah, but they would just be transformed by this new style, yeah. but instead it turns it turns out they probably better fits for the old style. What do you do with those guys? I mean, do you trade them and give up and kind of try to move on? I mean, they're the 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 weakness of the West almost acts as a curse, I think, sure. to them. It's, it's almost like, like the second wild card in baseball. More teams think they have a chance than right. they actually do. Yeah, and then again, to exactly to your point, what does winning the eight seed even mean? Right. What does being the seven seed even mean in the West? This it year? just deludes you into thinking you're closer than you are. I mean, that's that's, right. that's the and you know Gordon's a free agent, Anderson's a free agent, and that's why Hinky's right. Okay, no, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no man, but no, you're absolutely right, man. It, that's like one this, extreme versus the other. Yeah, but there is this idea of fully understanding who you are as an organization. I, what's I don't know the GM's name of the Dell Dems. That's Dell Dems, right? Okay, cool. So Dell Dems is a, he's a very well regarded general manager isn't he he's He's made some nice moves i mean i think you know so again what's going on with them right now i think is a reflection on you know whether he's executing an edict from the owner or not yeah this idea that a new coach would have solved the roster problems is just not happening like i believe in the holistic sports town theory which and this is my own theory screw it let's put it out there it matters when the other teams in your town are bad i think i think you're right currently and i promise you this is not going to make anyone's head spin but New Orleans is a Saints town. The Saints are the biggest thing in New Orleans. The second biggest thing in Louisiana is LSU. Both these teams, the Saints were bad this year, have been bad all year, and LSU was disappointing after being as high up as second in the country in football. Even their basketball team, even LSU's basketball team, who has the almost surefire number one pick in the draft, probably won't even make the NIT at this rate. Yeah. Okay? So what it happens is it puts more pressure on the team who is currently playing, who did have some expectations, and those expectations get, you know, kind of amplified and, and, and made 
probably out to be something that they shouldn't be at. And that's why you have even more of a perhaps that ownership pressing to say, hey, get that eight seed. Get that two yeah. playoff games. I think uh, that's a good analogy for what's going on in Philly right now it in is. a lot of ways. It is. I mean, this entire turn in Philadelphia is a lot of it is because the Phillies were the worst team in baseball. The Flyers are a middling team and the Eagles are a middling team. And so the media attention is directed. Yes. I yes. think that I think there is something to that. And uh, this happens in, in all kinds of markets. Look, it's it's <sighs> One of the reasons why it's more important that the Clippers really excel this year is because the Lakers are so far down. You can always mix and match the full that, That's a scene. unique market, I would say. Uh, it is. It is. I think that's a little different. But I mean, sure, it's, it's a little different. But the idea is capitalizing when you are the main event. And that's, that's the same. And I think the um, other the other counterpoint is in Golden State that mm-hmm. the Bay Area is a market where all these teams are, other than, I suppose, the football, I mean— they right have been now, good yeah. for right sure, now. Sure. But, you know, the baseball team has yeah. been great. Giants have won multiple World Series. You know, it, the, it is interesting how yeah. World Series and championships do cluster sometimes. When yeah. You see what Boston Ugh, is going through. And, and There's groups. like a 12-year-old in Boston who thinks that all they do is win. <laughs> I know. It, it breaks my heart. The long-tortured Yankees, yeah. five-year-old Yankees fan. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's guys like us. Have you ever seen a championship for any of your teams, Mike? No. No, right? And I've seen one in my whole life. So. I don't believe that any of our big four teams have gotten past to the conference finals in their sport since 1998. Oh, well, no. My Phillies won the World Series in 2008, yeah. but that's uh, uh, it's probably as, as far as I can – as far as I can go. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles in 2002. Uh, but anyhow, the idea is that, yes, we're not, like, steeped in traditions of winning. And, yeah, there are clusters of championships, and hopefully someday that cloud just sits over Philadelphia for, like, 15 years. <laughs> uh, and we sprinkle a little bit. Maybe you guys can uh, – the best thing – Oh, you can I'll give us this, a spare championship. I'll tie Thank this you. up because I always tie everything <laughs> into the Wizards. Hey, best thing that could happen for the Wizards is Oklahoma City not figuring this out. You guys could possibly mm. end up with a, a a confused Kevin Durant who's just like one day walks into the, uh, what is it, MCI? I don't know. What do you guys call Verizon, Verizon Center. Who walks into the Verizon Center and is like, hey, how'd I get here? Okay, <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, then they, they keep him there. Yeah, the, the Wizards have their own <laughs> Lock problems. Lock the doors. The Wizards have yeah. their own problems to figure we'll dive out into We'll dive into fixing the Wizards uh, on another podcast because we probably need an entire podcast for that at this point, sadly. But uh, I think this was a really good dive into kind of the upper echelon of the West with the Spurs, the bottom underachieving part with the Pelicans, and that middle ground who's kind of the, the wild cards, if you will, with the Mavs and, and with Oklahoma City, man. And, and, and again, guys, look for Prey to... Uh, piece coming out uh, on Wednesday on uh, on twelve sixteen on the Spurs. I'm sure it's going to be way better than anything we just talked about, uh, <laughs> or at least there'll be visuals to go with well, all the words we're it saying. It will be better because we are wearing black. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that is that is uh, the mark of boringness <laughs> yes, that we've exactly. agreed upon. Exactly. Hey, find Mike on uh, on Twitter at uh, uh, Mike Prada S B N uh, S as in Susan, B as in Bob, N <laughs> as in Nancy. I, I know it's funny. I, I've like said like weird words to kind of these yeah. letters before, and people look at me like, "What is the agreed upon like kind of S as in blank, S as in Stephen? Is it Stephen or Susan? Stephen. Stephen. Yeah, oh, S T is like a st- is pretty hard. Okay. Yeah, but I know what you're going with. I, mean, I, I think I did one time. I said G as in gnome, and someone looked at me. I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, we we had, and this this will be well received if any of the guys in the uh, the sales office here at uh, Vox Media listen. We had a coworker today who thought that the uh, the the nut and almond uh, was actually pronounced like almond, like almost like the country omen. And he was like, "Oh, the L's are silent." And we're like, "No." Almond. No, that's not true. There are no silent L's <laughs> in the word almond. Um, so Sweet. hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, he knows who he is, and he, he has a good laugh at that. But uh, he had to take the L in that situation. <laughs> yeah, that's correct.
<laughs> but uh, until next time, um, let's see. Find us on iTunes, Limited Upside Podcast. Subscribe to us. Uh, we put these out once a week. Find us on SoundCloud, Limited Upside Podcast. We'll be on SBNation.com backslash NBA for uh, all of your NBA content, but specifically this podcast, the piece that Mike is putting out. We have a few more uh, related articles coming out in the next couple days. Mike, yeah. what else can we look no, for there's for these some, teams? Uh, there's some cool stuff coming. Uh, don't want to spoil too much. One of these teams will be involved, cool. hopefully. Excellent. So, so we will see. So if you're interested uh, in what we got going on here with the Spurs, Oklahoma City, the Mavs, and Pelicans, get into SB Nation this week. It's going to be a good week for the NBA here. A lot of good content being put out. Again, subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on SoundCloud. I'm EpiBen, at EpiBen. That's at Mike Prada SBN. Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast.